Welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is not Aaron, and he's here with his friend and co-host, Matt. What a pleasure. Thank you. So, before we start with this episode, uh, massive spoiler warning for both of these movies. Um, If you haven't seen these movies and somehow haven't had them spoiled for you already, like, please go and watch them. Uh, They're available on uh, you can get them on youtube you can get them on amazon you know for a couple bucks uh you have a precious gift in that you're able to see these movies untainted please do not squander it so like the phrase spoiler warning gets thrown around a lot and i think we've used it like for comedic effect on this very podcast (laughs) i believe so (laughs) but i mean it's important i think to acknowledge like some of the power that spoilers have yeah you were uh you, you were talking about like um how some people were discussing that even knowing that a film has a spoilable twist is in and of itself a spoiler. Yeah. Um, yeah, even, even I think going into that, like getting totally blindsided by a twist is, is magical. <laughs> um, I think like a lot of people who maybe saw star Wars in theaters for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, with, Obviously, Luke, I am your father. Like that had that had to be something. I I talked to a couple people who might have seen like The Sixth Sense, for example, in theaters before. You know, this spoiler kind of hit like pop culture and became public knowledge. It, this it definitely became a meme that got joked about so much. I I think the scary movies made fun of it, and. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it became the you know the phrase at least within Sixth Sense. I see dead people was thrown around so much uh, at the time as like a joke. Um, yeah, um, I think we all saw the Hot Topic shirt that was like I see dumb people. That one was. I mean, I think I saw that just the other day. <laughs> and I mean, definitely I mean, it holds up. The, I mean, the Sixth Sense has definitely entered the cultural zeitgeist to a point where it was mocked and joked and derided, and you know, like for its time. And now I think we're in a bit of a, a greater appreciation for it, for what the film is, which we'll discuss when we actually talk about the movie proper, but you know, spoilers there. I've read different interesting things about this. Like I think uh, the, the subject was on like endings being spoiled and they were like overall Mm -hmm. enjoyment of a, a piece actually went up for a majority of people when the ending was spoiled. Yeah. Which is interesting. uh... Yeah, I I remember coming across like that study. I think it got posted on Reddit and I ended up yeah. reading it. Um so for the study what they did is they spoiled the ending of like short stories yes. for people and then had them read it and it's like, "Okay, did you enjoy it? You know, how much did you enjoy it?" And on average, people who had it spoiled enjoyed it more. And you know, I'll talk a little bit about this in the sixth sense cuz that was spoiled for me before I saw it. And you but, got you you watched Shutter Island, you knew the twist. Yeah, I, I, I have stuff to say about that too. Um, but yeah, I think like part of the study that that's interesting is that it was short stories. So like, I think there's a further further on study that could be conducted where you look at people who have to uh, read or uh, take in longer form stories. Like if you're playing a 60 hour video game or if you're watching, you know, eight seasons of game of Thrones, 
and someone spoils, you know, if you're starting Game of Thrones and someone spoils season seven for you, <laughs> you know, is that is that this? Are you going to enjoy that the same way that people reading short stories enjoyed getting a spoiler, or you know, does that make it worse for you? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to uh, to bring up a point you kind of mentioned was like a sixty hour video game uh, in within our lifetime uh, back around 2012, 2013, uh, Mass Effect three came out. Mm-hmm. And not that the the ending got spoiled heavily, it's just that there was so much anger around the ending and like endings in general at that point, because players, myself included, felt our choices had been nullified and turned into nothing. Like, yeah, <laughs> this game that was so much about crafting your own story, getting your own ending, and then being told explicitly in interviews, oh, yeah, there's a golden ending you can get where everything's good for everyone. <laughs> and then yeah. to not get that at all in the original released ending with this ham-fisted three cupcake flavors that are all exactly <laughs> the same flavor of bullshit. Yeah. And like to also put the a stupid morality part on it where it was like, what ending with this character who's had your back the entire game series? That's the bad ending. And one mm-hmm. one character who's been like a Machiavellian evil overlord, and the last time you saw him, he was just like the actual antithesis of everything you're like. He's the he's the pinnacle of everything you're fighting against. Oh, that was the good ending. Oh, but here's this weird in the in between ending where either side it's like enlightened centrum is ending, <laughs> enlightened centrist ending. Yeah, uh, I feel like yeah, getting a getting a spoiler can kind of you know, pull the ending out from under you, you know, pull the rug out from under you in the same way that like, Oh cool. This ending didn't matter. (laughs) I I definitely think that, um, the individual's investment in the story is definitely what matters. But it also, I think with spoilers in general, with certain things, like if it's a twist in a film that doesn't happen necessarily at the end, it depends on how well that twist is done. And I think both these films, uh, kind of your mileage may vary on your appreciation of the twists after the fact that being said like if someone spoiled the ending of lord of the rings for you would that really ruin lord of the rings like Mm -hmm. frodo destroys the ring spoiler um does that matter though because that is definitely a story that is about the journey right so if the story is only good, like only memorable because it's a twist, then it's inherently a bad story, in my opinion. Yeah. And that was uh, just to get this out of the way. That was kind of the way I felt about the sixth sense. Like the entire movie, like is the twist, you know? Wow. <laughs> um, and originally I, I went, actually went back and watched the trailer for the sixth sense. Cause I wanted to know like, okay, what did, what did like a casual movie fan know about the movie? And I didn't realize that uh, the like the line "I see dead people" was just straight up in the trailer. Yeah, straight. Like that, I always thought that was the twist. No, that's not the twist. Yeah, I mean, like I, I know what it is now. But <laughs> <laughs> so enough beating around the bush. Let's get to the bacon facts and uh, other other stuff and talk about these movies. Yeah. So this episode's matchup is about love, loss, and a couple. Uh, unique coping mechanisms. So call your therapist and maybe an old priest and a young priest. It's time for the sixth sense versus shutter Island. So 
bacon fact, besides being linked by their IMDb score, these movies are also separated by two degrees of separation. Bruce Willis was in Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson coming-of-age tale, with Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton was in The Beach, a 2000 Danny Boyle dramatic thriller with Leonardo DiCaprio. I feel like they might have acted together before, but also they probably have a whole bunch of crazy bacon linkings because of Bruce Willis's appearance as himself in the Oceans film. Yeah, so there is, there is, um, there was another, gosh, what am I trying to say? There is another, like, two degrees of separation. It was uh, through Cameron Diaz, because oh. Bruce Willis appears in, in Charlie's Angels full throttle, full throttle with a Bruce Willis cameo, and then Cameron Diaz is in with Leonardo DiCaprio in, was it Gangs in New York? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I just watched rewatched that. Also interesting because that's a Scorsese film. Yeah, Scorsese loves him some DiCaprio. <laughs> I mean, he he does like his stable actors. Both movies have scored an impressive eight point one on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out. The Sixth Sense is a 1999 movie written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, Tony Collette, and Olivia Williams. Shyamalan is best known for this film, Signs, The Village, Unbreakable, and the recent film Split and Mr. Glass. Malcolm Crowe is a well-respected and successful child psychologist who has just recently been honored by the city of Philadelphia for his exceptional work with the children of that city. But after returning home from the award ceremony, he finds a former patient, Vincent Gray, has broken into his home where he commits suicide, but not before telling Dr. Crow that he was unable to help him all those years ago. The next fall, Dr. Crow begins to meet with another patient, Cole Sear, manifesting similar symptoms to Gray. Crow sees this as a way to atone for his past and to help another child from succumbing to the same tragic fate. So do you feel, you, you really feel that the sixth sense is only good because of the twist that he was dead? Not not that it's only good because of it. Like, I think it is a good, well-shot, well-acted movie, but I think the twist elevates the entire movie higher than it would be without the twist. See, I don't... I disagree with that because watching it... Because I saw it, obviously, originally when it came out in theaters or on VHS, and I saw it had been spoiled, and then, you know, find out he was dead at, at the end of it. But, like, I was a kid when I saw it, so I wasn't really comprehending a lot of what was going on. Like, just scary ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I will admit there is still a scene that I don't like watching, and it's when that kid tell the the ghost kid tells Cole he knows where his father's gun is. Oh yeah, I, I make sure to always cover up at that because that's no. <laughs> I so I had sort of like I knew that this movie came out in 1999. Like, well, I was aware of it when it came out, but I wasn't allowed to see it because it was too scary. Um, I was like 10 at the time. Also, happy Spooktober, everybody. <laughs> I did not realize how spooky this movie was. Like, I didn't, I just didn't know that it had, like, I know the kids saw ghosts and I had had the twist that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Was spoiled it spoiled by the uh, Lonely Island song? No, it was spoiled by Ocean's 12. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just had not paid attention to the movie enough that, like, I knew the I See Dead People thing. But right. then Ocean's 12, like, really hammered that point, that joke home, which I think is a funny joke. But, you know, that was what ruined, that was what spoiled it for me. Not I ruined mean, it, because I still enjoyed the movie a lot. I think this, I think this movie is definitely deserving of its ranking. And it's probably M. Night Shyamalan's best, although I haven't seen his entire body of work. Um, mm-hmm. 
there are definitely certain films I think no one should see. I think you definitely agree on that, even though you have seen one of them. Uh, yeah, the only other M. Night Shyamalan movie I've seen is The Last Airbender and parts of, uh, what was that movie? The Village. Uh, the Village. I thought also, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have seen that one clip of the happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this definitely feels like, I. it feels like something he just, he struck gold with this movie and it's kind of been chasing that ever since. Well, I definitely think that there was, you know, talking about his body of work uh, when like signs uh, came out, because didn't he follow this up with Unbreakable? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Um, But because Unbreakable is very much not like a twist derived story. Like hmm. that story stands on its own while there is a twist at the end. It is telegraphed. Like the thing that is so good about the early works of M. Night Shyamalan at least with in regards to the sixth sense and unbreakable the two films that I have seen and enjoyed the most of his is they are solid, well-acted, well-directed, clear vision, auteur director stories. Like yeah. the, the, what I love about the sixth sense now watching it years later as an adult and understanding like actual adult fears, like Tony Collette's uh, mother, you know, miss, miss Sear, like I cannot imagine the, the, the anguish and and like heartbreak she is feeling day to day like for her son yeah i definitely like mom i love you <laughs> yeah i i teared up a little bit at the end with uh the whole thing about the grandmother oh that that's that's just really beautiful mm-hmm. like that is such a that's such a moment where like because of his work with you know, you know dr dr crow that he was able to tell his mother exactly what's been going on with him and like related to her in such a way that she knows there's no way he can know this information. Right. It's not and, something he overheard and like twisted into. Yeah. Twisted you know, into this, like this circumstance. Like that, that whole moment where he, he, when he says, you know, grandma says you asked her a question. She says, the answer is every day. And you know, then he asks his mom what the question was, and he and she tells him, "It's like, are you proud of me, mom?" Mm-hmm. And they're just like everything. It's like you have to be a real stone cold <laughs> motherfucker to not feel nothing at that, right? Um, um Unbreakable was the follow up to The Sixth Sense. So yeah, I'd say Unbreakable definitely relies less on a twist because that's more like. The interesting thing about Unbreakable now, which I'll just I digress a little bit, is that is a sup- a grounded superhero film in a world where that is not the norm, which it now is. Yeah. So it is a precursor to modern superhero stories, I guess. I definitely appreciate that, like, in this movie, it's just like, all right, this kid sees ghosts. You know, fact. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, you know, what what accursed thing could have ever happened to him. It's not, it's not focusing on the backstory. It's just like, all right, this kid sees ghosts. This is what's happening. Moving on. Yeah. Um, so he, here's the thing that I think like enriches the movie, watching it on a second time with knowing the twist. So that first mm-hmm. meeting between Dr. Crow and Cole in the church just seems like a normal meeting. You know, it's a kid yeah. talking to a guy and, you know, he's kind of like, and, it explains, you know, like we had a, a session, you know, you know, I missed it. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I'm here to help you now. Like, yada, yada, yada. But 
the look on Haley Joe Osment's face when yeah. he comes home and sees this doctor there because <laughs> now he knows that this is a ghost. Yeah. For sure. And that's why he's very quiet and always looking towards the kitchen so that his mother doesn't think, you know, she's having a conversation, that he's having a conversation and crazy. Um, but like that also, that so enriches their relationship, especially at the very end when after, you know, Cole has been the starring role in the school play and all that, and is coming mm-hmm. to grips with his, you know, his ability to like, to help the 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 dead you know that he was talking to a apparently the old drama teacher from back in the day that died in a fire unfortunately mm-hmm. uh then uh but cole knows that because he's doing better because he knows how he can help these people and help himself that dr crow is going to be going and so yeah. he does something and it's brilliant kind of watching it again. He, he, he's going to help him with what he knows this doctor needs. But I think it's so brilliant is because, because he didn't know he was dead and he was doing his job as a, a child psychiatrist, psych- therapist, psychologist. I, I always get those terms mixed up. Yes. Psychologist is the one that can't prescribe medication. Psychiatrist prescribes medication. Child psychiatrist. Um, as a child psychiatrist, you know, he's there to help kids and like a straight viewing of this film until the twist still works, which is why I think the twist is almost immaterial to enjoyment of this film. I, I can't follow you down that path. What, what I mean to say movie. is I, I think the acting and the, the scripting and the pacing stands up on its own, even if the mm-hmm. twist doesn't happen at the end. Yes. I'll agree with you there, but it is the twist is not immaterial. I, I you know, like that I said, been, I think it's everything about this movie. Well, I just, I just don't think that that's all this movie is. You can, because you can view it, knowing that the twist is there, and see a lot of the subtle things that the the movie is doing with the script and the acting. Like I think this is some of Bruce Willis's best acting. Yeah, and you know, Haley Joel Osment, you know, he he wowed people when this came out. Yes. And it's a shame that his adult film career has not been as successful. Because he's he's not bad. Like, uh, he was recently on The Boys, and his character in that is, you know, interesting and nuanced. The problem is his childlike face never grew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was in, oh, what was the last thing I saw him in? He was playing, like, some quiet office dude. Uh uh, I didn't know that he uh, played Sora in Kingdom Hearts. That you was didn't. A, that was a fun a discovery for me looking at his IMDb. Yeah, uh, extremely that... wicked and shockingly evil and vile. Oh, doesn't he play Kemper or something like that? Or no, he plays um, the coworker of uh, Bundy's wife. Okay. Interesting. I haven't watched that yet. I heard mixed things, but you always hear mixed things about Netflix films because, as an as- another aside, I feel that there is a conceited effort by the established establishment in Hollywood to lampoon digital distribution of new films. Yeah, 
So Haley, Haley Joel Osment like is really talented. IMDb lists him as the first millennial to receive an Oscar nomination. Uh, sorry, male millennial to receive an Oscar nomination. So who was the first millennial then? That I'm not sure. <laughs> I did. I didn't follow that rabbit hole down, but uh, this movie got six Oscar nominations. Which yeah, I yeah, also I mean, didn't it's, know. Is I feel it's deserving of that because this came out at a time when like. You know, slasher films and big budget action films were the norm. Uh, 1999, Matrix came out the same year. Mm-hmm. So I believe there is always a, a draw in Hollywood to put these very quiet, deliberate paced films out. The fact that it kind of was like multifaceted, that it was also kind of a ghost story and a mild horror thing, but also had like psychological, like, you know, thriller-esque elements and then like the drama of you know a single mother with her son and all that yeah i think also like the the way the movie ends like they don't cure um the kid of seeing ghosts yeah Cole like, is not cured uh he it's so it's it, i feel like that helps it not be dismissed as like oh it's the ghost movie it's like no it's the like it's got solid character development and it could just be a spooky horror movie and it has those moments but obviously it's it it goes way beyond that i mean yeah in some really good ways they i remember as a kid there was a series before like young adult as a genre was a thing but it was clearly like young adult elementary school like readership it was there's six cents syndicate like canon books of what cole did after after dr crow moved on and it's like it's like ghost problems of the week thing (laughs) i think that's interesting i wonder how many were published i would i would i'd be interested in that i mean you know maybe not so much anymore if it's young adult fiction but i definitely it was it was exciting to you know imagine cold now going through this you know through the rest of his life with this this power this ability and you know the knowledge to play ghost therapist i guess i'll give you a second to look it up number one yeah that's the did they only make one yeah so i remember starting it um and it's it's just interesting that that's like i was thinking like man you could do a far-flung like sequel to this like where he's maybe like a detective or something like that yeah like it's a total it's a netflix series like you could totally do that yeah i feel that 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 well is already run dry though because they did dead zone which is basically the same premise guy can see dead people or when people Mm. are gonna die with uh anthony michael hall yeah it wasn't um i never watched but wasn't pushing daisies also like something similar ish uh he what was that one it was the same guy as who is now who now did um the good place i know that pushing up daisies one is one that like everyone's like criminally underrated everyone should have watched it It was so great yeah so oh it's the uh nair ned possesses a rare gift the ability to restore life to the dead with a touch so it is talking to the dead just in a different with a different mechanism yeah welcome to aaron and matt half remember old tv shows (laughs) (laughs) 
So anyway, on this week's pitch of TV shows you wish existed, The Sixth Sense, you know, Far Flung, Cole, Cole Sear is now Detective Sear. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe he's a private detective, you know, because he can't work within the confines and have to explain. Ooh, what if it was like psych, but like ser- like not serious, but like just psych where <laughs> just making so, some of that like same tone. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could even be like li- Cole's. Sorry, go ahead. Because he's now lived with it his whole life and he's like come to accept it. Like he knows when people are dead and when they aren't. Yeah. Not just because they're covered in blood and hanging from nooses. Uh, it could also be Cole's kid inherits like the same gift. And I think I thought that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It writes itself. Why hasn't Netflix made this already? Uh, the algorithm hasn't told them to yet. All <laughs> hail the algorithm. <laughs> Maybe all my open mic devices will pick this up and it'll get back to them somehow. There you go. I think uh, M. Night also owns the intellectual property, at least the film and intellectual rights of all the movies he's written. Because he's written and directed any of the movies that you know him for. Yeah. Well, good Um, for him. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think, you know, Glass, when it came out, not Glass, um, Split, was such a success is because it's like, Okay, I've been trying to do what the the studios have told me to do or like wanted me to do. Screw that shit. I'm going to make what I want to make. Yeah. And I'm going to get one of the best actors of our time to be in it. <laughs> James McAvoy yeah. is cl- criminally underappreciated. Yeah, I definitely watching this movie and I don't know if it's because I've been watching more like video essays on YouTube about films, but um I definitely noticed some of like the camera moves or the framing and and especially what's a big part in this movie is like going back and watching it the second time knowing Bruce Willis is dead. So I kind of got that like first and second watch all in all in one. Yeah. But there, there are some really, really good like intentional framing and obviously, you know, the thing they talked about in Ocean's 12, the uh, dinner scene. But like even that, it's it's so subtle as to not ever give it away. So if you don't figure it out, it's not like you're an idiot for not figuring <laughs> out this twist. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a very, very like earned twist. Like they had one set of rules. They're not betraying it the entire time. And it shows on a rewatch. Like I know that uh, M. Night is pretty pretty particular about how his actors behave on set and what they do talk about with people that are not on the production uh, Mm -hmm. to to the point where like weird conspiracies abound about it. (laughs) Like I remember there was this one, Oh God, it was when um, the, uh, which Adrian Brody's in the village, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Originally, that role was going to be offered to jo- was actually offered to Johnny Depp, and like mm-hmm. I remember this because there was this show kind of like talking about the behind the scenes on M Night Productions and all that stuff, and like our ghost real kind of thing um, on the Sci Fi Network, of course, because why have anything of substance? But like some of the things that they were talking about were really interesting. Like throughout his whole life, M Night's um, career, like he made like eight millimeter films as a kid, like a like a you know, a Spielberg and whatnot, but they always involve like an otherworldly presence, like throughout his entire life, like calls to something beyond our understanding. So like 
you know, his film, his body of work makes sense for like the people that grew up around him or like were, you know, adults on the block where he grew up and played. Mm -hmm. But the weirdest thing was like Johnny Depp was like mentioning all these things. Like you're told you're given a, a, a list of things that when people ask you certain like kinds of questions, you give these canned answers to. Right. And the crazy thing was like, they had interviewed Adrian Brody about some of these things and he gave an answer that didn't seem like thoughtless. It, it seemed just like evasive. And then mm -hmm. they were talking to Johnny Depp and he's like, yeah, they like, this is one of the things they told, like I had to say, it was like verbatim what Adrian Brody said. And like another <laughs> thing they had to say was this is like verbatim what another actor had said. Right. And so like, you know, Johnny Depp is and like the, so I can kind of believe it because Johnny Depp is not a very public actor. Like he's not out there being seen all the time. And like only recently has more stuff come up about his private life. He was a very private reserved individual, especially when this little special was on sci-fi when the village was coming out. Yeah. Do you think like, is that to like protect the twist? Like, is that what's going on there? Or? Well, no, because the questions that they would ask would not be about twists. It was about like M Knight's personal beliefs or like stuff like that. And huh. like some of it, I feel like could be as part of a death of the author thing, or like that he doesn't want people to see these movies in a certain light. And so he's evasive about it. Always. He also appears in every single one of his films, by the way. Yeah, I, I did see that. But it, and it, like him appearing actually doesn't really take you out because it's not like a Quentin Tarantino where it's like, oh, I'm doing an Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was I, I think, well done. I just, I, I think now more of it, like as long as he's not hurting anybody, who cares? And right. as And also I do think that part of it is probably a death of the author style uh, take on it. Like he doesn't want people like taking his worldviews and saying, well, that's why you made this movie. And that's that imagery you used because like in the sixth sense, getting back to the actual film, there's not one way or the other answer on what these ghosts are. Mm -hmm. It's not like these are Christian ghosts. And it's like, because they're, you know, like <laughs> Cole offers uh, his insight because of what the ghosts have told him that like, they don't know they're dead or they, they, they have like regrets and like, you can clearly see that at least Dr. Crow, that is what he is there for. He, he regrets. Oh yeah. Either his perception of failing his wife or, or failing the Vincent Gray and possibly Cole. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, without, without knowing that, like this was the case i definitely put together okay cole is vincent gray like they have the same like kind of streaks in their hair like cole very just clearly gets called a freak on the playground like right when i was a kid like i, I couldn't follow it and i thought that that like at one point it was like a flashback like the entire mm -hmm. movie was a flashback because there is the flashback at the end of the movie of Malcolm Crow realizing that he is in fact dead. He died the night that Vincent broke into his house and shot him. Yeah. And so I always thought it was like, uh, Oh, what could I, what, what could I do have done differently? But as an adult who can pay attention for longer than, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds, I realized that's dumb. 
<laughs> well, what if that was the real twist all along? Yeah, it works up until his wife is still there. <laughs> the real twist is the friends we met along the way. <laughs> so uh, any closing remarks that you have about that or any ideas that you want to get out there about the Sixth Sense and... Oh, I I did enjoy the retro style credits at the beginning. That was a weird surprise for me. Retro in what way? I don't I don't remember the that. they like don't show anything on screen. It's just like it's it's the old style credits of like name fade out. Oh fade yeah yeah name, it's, it's very out. yeah very simple. Like there is definitely an older style of Hollywood. Like I would put this along the same lines of say like an Exorcist. You know, mm -hmm. in the, like the tone, like there's a realistic tone of this film. And that that's true of any of his better films. Like, again, my two favorites are The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. The tone of both those films is real. Very good effort, M. Night. Please make a good movie again. Well, actually, that's not fair. I should see some of his good movies. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh. Those are our thoughts on The Sixth Sense. Uh, come back after the break when we will be talking about Shutter Island. Done, done. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Uh, Shutter Island is a 2010 movie based on the novel by Dennis Lehane, written for the screen by Letta. Caligridis, Caligridis, and directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, Dennis Lehane has written several books that have gone on to become movies, including Mystic River, The Drop, and previously on Match Cut, Gone Baby Gone. Oh, so I've seen three of his adapted books. I think he also wrote The Town. Oh, is that interesting. Him? That is a book. I'll double check that. Uh, it sure is. <laughs> uh, screenwriter Leda Caligridis has written Alexander, the Colin Farrell movie about Alexander the Great, as well as several science fiction works, including Terminator Genesis, Alita Battle Angel, and several episodes of Altered Carbon. Uh, she was also the creator of Altered Carbon. Um, she's attached, or she is attached to an announced live action Sword Art Online series as well. Oh, God, save us from the incest. <laughs> uh, Martin Scorsese probably needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyways. He's directed several other DiCaprio movies, specifically including The Aviator, The Departed, and Wolf of Wall Street. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that DiCaprio has been in several Scorsese films. <laughs> but fair. That's, that's, that's true. So, U.S. Marshal Teddy Daniels and his partner Chuck Ayuli are called to the Ashcliff Mental Hospital to investigate the, the disappearance of one of their patients slash prisoners, Rachel Solando. However, Teddy is also there for personal reasons to track down the man responsible for the death of his wife. Teddy is beset on all sides with problems, the seemingly impossible escape of a mental patient, an uncooperative staff, not to mention a monster of a storm bat battering the island. However, as Teddy digs deeper and deeper, he discovers that not all is as it seems on Shutter Island. Done, done. <laughs> so, I so here's my experience going into this movie. Um, I talked to you before I watched it and said, "Okay, I think I know what the twist is. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is a mental patient on the island, and you, <clears throat> I think this was your intention." 
planted a small seed of doubt in my mind by refusing to acknowledge it, which I appreciate. That, that is generally how I handle twists that I, that I know the twist of, is I don't acknowledge it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, because I don't want something spoiled like that. Yeah. And then while I was watching it uh, at my parents' house, uh, my mom came by and I was like, oh, you know, have you seen this movie? She's like, I think so. Like, isn't the doctor the bad guy? And I was like, all right, cool. I haven't finished yet, but thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not the twist. But that comment and your comment were enough to put doubt in my mind that I truly knew the twist. Ha. So I, I like... I kind of saw it coming, but I was doubtful all the way up until they like just spelled it out by literally pulling out a chalkboard and explaining it. <laughs> so I saw it in the theaters with my mother, who did not try to spoil it for me because she didn't know the spoilers <laughs> at all. And so we were along for the ride, like both liking Leonardo DiCaprio and Scorsese films, you know, having seen mm-hmm. you know, The Departed and all that before. Um. It's the thing I like about the twist in this movie is like once it happens, you're like, oh, that makes way more sense than all this other insane stuff. But that right. insane stuff kind of it like it it draws you into like the insane of the the unsound mind of of Andrew Latus, right? Because I've... it's believable enough. Yeah, especially for like this uneasy feeling that like kind of follows this entire movie around the entire time like right from the get-go where you know teddy can't find his cigarettes it's like all right something's just not right here yeah um however i'm gonna say like out of the bat i feel that while this movie is is excellent there's a lot of really emotional scenes especially the scene where um andrew latest comes home to find what his wife has done Mm -hmm. um like there is just so much raw emotion in that. Like you can't fault the guy for what he does. It's, it's a horrible situation and you don't know how you'd act in that scene. And especially knowing what he saw in world war two, you know, I have no, I like, I'm honestly curious if any of that actually happened. I know like reprisals from American troops against Nazis, specifically those that guarded camps almost certainly occurred. However, yeah. I don't know if at Dachau they expressly did line up the the guards that were still there and execute them. Yeah, those those scenes are just super intense. Oh uh, yeah, it's. I, I, I'm really interested to see the the war scenes from Scorsese's upcoming film, The Irishman, mm-hmm. with uh, De Niro, just because like man, Scorsese doing a war film that'd be something. Yeah, definitely the the scene of, you know, lining up the Nazis and shooting them, A, while being incredibly loud, is also very, like, striking and powerful. But I think, like, the the imagery that stuck with me the most out of Dachau was um, kind of the way the bodies, like, pour out of the train. Which I believe is taken directly from pictures from the, from the time. Yeah, it's just, it's real disturbing the way they're all, like, just kind of frozen in this, like, flooding out of the sides of the cars. Yeah. It's unsettling for many reasons. And and kind of on a side note, I was just reading a thing from a guy that was one of the other doctors at Auschwitz, 
and um, he was actually exonerated from by the uh, the the Nuremberg trials because of defense from patients of his. He basically did benign tests that weren't going to harm anyone and mm-hmm. drew them out as long as possible. But he was like asked about people, like you know, people denying it and saying it didn't happen, and he was like. The enor- like basically the enormity of evidence is overwhelming that it did happen. I was there and I'm not denying that it happened. Right. Just as an aside, it's it's like you know, 70 years on, people it seems that people that deny it are getting louder and louder, and the voices that could speak up against that are have mostly faded away because of age. Mm-hmm. So just as an aside on a very heavy subject. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that, that there's like this weird distressing fantasy element to kind of those scenes, especially the, the, um, the murder of the Nazi officer where you just get kind of those papers just floating in the air. Yeah. They're very dreamlike. Yeah. It definitely shades of inception for me. Cause that, you know, that's, a, there's a, Obviously, Inception came out afterwards, but there's a very clear line, especially with DiCaprio in the in the center of it, <laughs> in um, kind of those those two scenes for me at least. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to disagree with that. I, I I can see where you're drawing that from. To me, I think that it's given that dreamlike and airy quality because he's doing some film techniques there. You know, very slow, deliberate takes. I believe there is some mild sl- slow motion being uh, uh, used. Yeah, definitely on the papers. Yeah, to give it an extra, like that extra point of it. Um, but it's interesting to know, like when violence happens in this film, it's very rapid, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really interesting. So it's like a very slow, deliberate pace for certain things, giving it an, a dreamlike, uh, you know, not reverence, because I don't think Scorsese is reverent to the Holocaust, but right. a, a dreamlike quality to him. Uh, but then like that scene where they... they they stand the guards up against the fence and shoot them. It's a very, it's a fairly fast dolly tracking shot uh, mm-hmm. across the soldiers, and you're seeing them die really quickly. Yeah, uh, and it's not, it's not glorifying it either. Like that's an interesting part. Is like you could feel, like you could feel a sense of like revenge and like you know, j- like a, a grim justice being done, but it's presented so matter of fact. And like it feels very real. It's it in a sense where like it they it it kicks off because one guy runs and they shoot him and then they all just open up. Yeah. It's I think like it's almost it's in going back to like you're saying it's it's dreamlike, it has an otherworldly quality to it because it's yeah. it's not something that like you know, it almost seems like this could never happen. And I think, you know, that was kind of the attitude of some people, not the Holocaust deniers, but just like, oh my gosh, how could this happen in this world? And it's like, it's almost a, a violence that's not of this world. Yeah. And I definitely agree with the, uh, with what's his, his character character's name, Teddy Daniels. Like when he says to, to Chuck, like, I'm not going to kill him. You know, I'm done killing kind of thing. Like, I think that kind of surprised Mark Ruffalo's Chuck character mm-hmm. because of the violence that, that Andrew Latus is capable of. Yeah. You know, like 
I think everyone does an outstanding job in this film. Every single like actor, really. Like, um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is also a hidden gem that is underappreciated in his time. Mm-hmm. Just because you're the Hulk doesn't mean you're appreciated. <laughs> but Ben Kingsley, this is probably one of his best recent roles uh, oh, yeah. as this very understanding doctor. Like, I definitely feel like there's there's this push and pull with him. You know, wanting this this uh, should we like talk in depth about what the twist is? Sure. Um, quick, quick side note though. I'm so happy that we got a Ben Kingsley movie in here. I didn't know he was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's real good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the twist? Cause it's kind of, it's kind of this dual level thing. Uh, we kind of touched upon it earlier where there's like this head fake to, oh, it's a secret government research facility. And like, I was on board with like, okay, yeah. Like my mom said, the doctor is evil. This is this horrible, you know, research institution. And, and like everyone goes into a movie expecting like a, but, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, it's an investigation movie, but it's this horrible government conspiracy. And then like, See, there's I another went, twist. Because I saw it when it aired in theaters, and like the, the trailers do not give anything away, really. Like they mm-hmm. make it seem like a very intense, like detective story and like murder mystery almost. Um, yeah. And so when that twist occurs, you're like, I mean, I've seen Scorsese's other films. This seems par for the course. It's not that weird. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I'm also thinking of, like, history at the time. Like, well, at this time, the U.S. government was doing the Tuskegee experiments and uh, the CIA was doing MKUltra in a few decades. So, like, yeah, yeah, that that tracks. Sure. It's, yeah, it's very believable. Yeah, lobotomize people to become perfect Manchurian candidates. I've seen the Manchurian candidate. That was the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it definitely benefits from, you know, it's, well... It's helpful that it's all told from like quote unquote Teddy's perspective. Yeah. You know, like that's that's what makes it work is like We're not switching. I, perspectives I don't know where I'm going that. with this. No, I get what you're saying. Like <laughs> yeah. but the interesting thing about that is Teddy is an unreliable narrator, but it's done so subtly because we as humans don't realize things that we miss. So like uh one of the the ones that everyone see like can point out, which I thought was like a that's a weird mistake to make was when the the one patient asked for a glass of water and she drinks <laughs> it she's putting an empty hand up to her face i'm like that's sl- that's sloppy filmmaking what the fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then when she sets it down the glass is there so i'm like huh but what that yeah. is is because of the trauma that andrew latus had with his wife drowning their three children he can he gets nauseous around water he gets headaches and migraines around water so that's why taking him out on the boat they probably just took him out and like did a circle yeah it's like just until he starts throwing up and becomes teddy yeah or whoever and it's and like the at the twist like uh he had a breakthrough nine months previously but he regressed and so you know, that's what they were really worried about. So they're going to keep him under observation at the, the very end, which we'll talk about in a bit. But so the twist is that uh, Teddy, Teddy Daniels is Andrew Latus. In fact, Teddy Daniels is an anagram of Andrew Latus. Um, yeah. Rachel Solando is an anagram of his wife's name, which I cannot remember at the at the moment. 
Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't put the IMDb things up. I no worries. So d- dumb technical reason, but uh, let me look it up. Oh, I think they just list probably the the actual names they're given rather than their real names to not spoil a twist. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna find it quickly. So no worries. Uh, so they're both anagrams of him and his wife's real names. He created a fake version of what happened to his wife to push off the guilt and anguish that he feels for having done it and not listening. The guilt he feels for not being able to save his family. Like this is really heavy stuff. And it's like, you know, at this point I, I can't say that I would not do the same thing if faced with those same situations. Yeah. God willing, we never have to face that. I also think it was really interesting that like never are like, it was really good not interesting like there is a lot of compassion from the psychiatrists in this film for the most part yeah aside from lobotomizing him ultimately in the end but well that was in vogue for a, a very brief window of time as a way to control these patients and like yeah it's it's non-compassionate from a modern perspective yeah um I do like, I think Ben Kingsley's character is definitely like, obviously the way that psychiatry has gone Mm -hmm. uh, and and therapy and all that, but there is definitely still a heavy pharmacology aspect of it, which is what uh, his character kind of derides. Like there, he says there's a war for modern psychology right now that one camp, you have the orbital lobe lobotomy, which, oh, this, this is the second movie we've done with a trans orbital (laughs) lobe lobotomy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, in that in the previous movie though that was seen as a release from all things yeah well i mean at the end of this movie this, yeah it's also yeah. the same thing for this movie as well um but it's presented much f- more frank and like seen as barbaric at the time which there were doctors at the time that's like that's barbaric what you're doing is crazy right and the other one is just dope up, dope people up with, you know, Thorazine and all that stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, put them in, a, in a, a drooling stupor so you don't have to worry about it and just shuffle them around. And so yeah. Teddy asks, you know, the doctor is like, what camp you in, doctor? He's like, I believe if you talk to someone, treat them with compassion and respect that they will tell you what's wrong with them. It's definitely uh, modern talk therapy. And I mean, it was a little bit of like what Freud did, you know, with talk therapy and well, it sounds like he's definitely going through cognitive behavioral therapy, like the early stages of it, which I don't know exactly when that was put into uh, practice or was like first proposed. I wouldn't be surprised if it was proposed in the 50s and just seen as too ridiculous at the time. Um, yeah, I want to say 70s, but who knows? Entirely Unfortunately, possible. there's no unlimited resource for us to fact check. So there's just no way we can know this information. <laughs> um, well, it's probably one of those things where it's like someone came up with it like 20 years earlier from oh, when sure. it got popular. Yeah. I have a degree in psychology. I can't remember. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. My bachelor's in, is in psychology. Wait, what? <laughs> How am I just knowing that? what (laughs) what i I have some thoughts about the psychology in this movie but i'll save it for the comparison well so i think this movie does a really good job with tone i think both these movies do a job with tone there's a little more jump scare aspects with the the sixth sense than in this Mm -hmm. this one feels like a classic like 1950s like 
there's definitely some camera moves and angles that he uses that are homages to the era of yeah. filmmaking. I've definitely heard like homages to Hitchcock specifically. Yeah. Um, with the scene, uh, like with the shower head and the way the camera like rotates around the circular staircase in the lighthouse. Yeah. That, that's vertigo and psycho respectively. Mm. And it, it really works to create this uneasy feeling. Like I said, like, yeah, the, the entire time you, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't remember this last time I watched it, but like, there's a whole bunch of like Dutch angles and a lot of quick cuts in the beginning that made mm-hmm. me uneasy and a little anxious on the boat. Yeah. So, and, and, and once you find out the twist of this film, that's deliberate on Scorsese's part because you would be, he, he is putting you in the mindset of Teddy Daniels. Yeah. He's uneasy around water. He's uncomfortable. He's anxious. Um, the the score is also a bit heavy handed, but again, it's an homage to back in the era when like they had these scores. As it goes on, it be, like it feels more appropriate until you reach the very end. Yeah, definitely. Like it becomes like almost overwhelming. Like when they first get to the island, like it's it's mixed super loud. Yes, I remember that in the theaters. Like mom, mom. <laughs> um. What else? Uh. So the one the one scene that like kind of didn't work for me and maybe it's just is something I missed the first time and got to come back on a second viewing. But the the like Jeep ride back with the uh, warden who's talking about like, well, you're a violent man, violent man or violence is God's gift to man. It's like, where is this coming from? Like, I get that he has a violent past, but I feel like this is just here's a perspective that this movie has kind of never gone heavy into before this and it's so you you definitely i I agree with what you're saying that it kind of comes out of nowhere and it 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 makes the warden a lot more menacing but then again Mm -hmm. he probably is very menacing to andrew latis and teddy daniel's mind because of what he represents he probably is ex-military like teddy daniel's surmises and sees the world as very rigid like you are crazy because you did x y or z you are violent so you will always be violent Whereas the the deputy warden who you meet earlier on in the film and talk with more, um, spend more time with, um, he's a lot more sympathetic to what the uh, the two more modern doctors are doing, and like you can tell he believes in this role play because it's a giant elaborate role play, and yeah, going back and watching it, like you see all these guards like eyeing you know Teddy Daniels a lot heavier, and it's like. So the the whole like you know conspiracy aspect of it like it works on a, a surface level because of that, but then with the the full knowledge of what the film is, it works because they're afraid he like he's gonna get a gun and kill people because he nearly beat a man to death already. Yeah, I I love that um, scene with Ben Kingsley at the very end where he tries to shoot him. And just Ben Kingsley no sells it while this blood just explodes <laughs> out of his back. Yeah, that was that like was... part of me when I was first watching that. I remember being like, "What? What is going on? What is still going on?" Like, yeah. And then when that happens and it all breaks down and they break it down for you and all that. Um, one thing I want to talk about is definitely the ending, which I don't think is. Let me. What do you think happens in the ending? I did want to talk about this because I. I, okay, the way I see it is that he's finally, he has broken through. He is once again, 
um, you know, Lehane. Andrew Latus. Yes, Andrew Latus. And he comes to full, you know, fully comes to terms with what he's done, you know, and can't live with himself anymore. And so he says, hey, better to die a hero pretending to be Teddy Daniels than live as a monster, you know. So he he I think he is he is fully back and cognizant of who he is, but you know uses the lobotomy as a means to uh, not repent necessarily, but to deal with what he's done. That was yeah. my read of it. So I believe that that is the intended read because that is what is explicitly stated in the book. Basically, the book is not always like that last chapter. I believe in the book is not told from uh, Andrew Latus's perspective. Uh, I do know from a friend because I was a little like down on the ending because I thought he regressed. Um, yeah. But my friend at the time told me that no, any other time they had to take him anywhere when he was, uh, you know, deep in his, um, you know, dream world, um, he would fight with the guards and struggle with them and not go willingly. So yeah. the way that what they show is when the orderlies come to take him away, he stands and walks without a, a tr without a trouble. And you can see on Mark Ruffalo's, uh, you know, uh, doctor's face. I can't remember his doctor's uh, character's name, but Chuck's uh, face. Dr. Sheehan. Dr. Sheehan. Um, that he, he's being, he suspects like really heavily suspects that he is just doing this so that we send him away especially mm -hmm. with that last line and the quick look away. Yeah. Cause he calls him Andrew right before he leaves. And he kind of, doesn't he look back slightly? Uh, the Teddy character, DiCaprio's character. Yeah. Andrew yeah. Latus, Teddy Daniels. Yeah. I, I need to write those names down cause I can't, <laughs> can't get them right. Um, yeah. He definitely gives a quick like glance over his shoulder. Yeah. So, he chose because he he can ex he can realize the guilt is real, but he can't live with himself knowing that. And yeah. you know, you you get a sense of real sadness from Ben Kingsley's doctor because he had hoped that this elaborate role play had worked. Give the inmate the run of the island, let him exhaust all options for his fantasy to exist. Mm -hmm. And when the end he'll be confronted with it, and there'll be he'll he has no choice but to accept the reality of his life. But uh, he says at one point, like, I really wish I could let you live in your fantasy world. I do. It would be so much easier for everyone. But you're trained. You're the most dangerous inmate we have. Yeah, I, I, I feel for it. Like, it's a, it's a very touching ending because it's, you know, he's kind of surrendering fully powerless to this delusion. But also it becomes even more bittersweet of an ending. Because you realize that this study would be published, wouldn't be published. That this works. Elaborate role play like this would work. You can use this for certain psycho for certain psychoses and for certain delusions to help them break free of it of their own volition. Mm -hmm. it, in a sense, it's basically like this experiment set back psych you know <laughs> psychiatry for a few decades. Yeah. Which kind of works within the overall structure of the like the time the movie is set because very I, I, I can't remember exact year it's set but when the transorbital lobotomy was um, 
first went into practice, it was in vogue for a long time before it was stopped. Or is it even technically stopped? Is it like a, a procedure that they like refuse to perform? Or is it something that... Uh, I'm pretty they sure they don't do lobotomies anymore. But, but there it, may there may be some more advanced procedure. I know um sometimes with uh sometimes they'll they'll separate the two lobes of the brain to deal with some conditions. Uh, I think particularly seizures, they'll they'll separate the hemispheres. So I mean there is like still invasive procedures with the brain that are done, you know, to help people, but I don't think like they jam needles in people's eyes anymore. <laughs> So from the 50s onward, the lobotomy began to be abandoned. Began to be. Yeah. I, I remember there's actually um, the former or current podcast and now limited Amazon Prime series uh, Lore has an episode on lobotomy going through the history of it, its usage, and all that. Yeah. Lore is really good, by the way. <laughs> if you want a shorter uh, podcast... That's more famous and better produced. <laughs> also, uh, good for that sort of stuff is myths and legends. Yeah, you know, welcome to the podcast recommendation corner. Um, going back to what you were saying about like people playing the actors, um, one of the, my f first things that I picked up on where it's like, okay, something's going on here, is when they're um, interviewing the woman who drinks the water, um, and they bring up Doctor Sheehan. She and um, she like just stares at Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I, I see, I see. Right there, there. Are, this film does hint out its its twist just as much mm -hmm. as the Sixth Sense. I think it's harder to not see them on a second watching because. Yeah. So, having watched this now three times total. I feel that each time it has felt just a little bit longer, not because it has problems, but because you know the twist is there and the scenes themselves are fairly lengthy. I feel mm -hmm. that the third act of this film could be shortened a bit. Yeah, there's a there's like a lot of monologuing and especially with like, you know, the chalkboard or you know it was a picture frame demonstration of like here's how the anagram works it's like maybe you could just tell us and people work out at home if it actually works but i'm perfectly fine with that part of it i think that it's the last act where he's like finally gonna uncover the conspiracy and get to the lighthouse that whole portion and when mm. he thinks um chuck has fallen to his death on the rocks below like I get that that's important for like his overall mental state and all that, like to kind of show how fragile he is and how his mind is defending itself. But in the end, it's like, ah, do we really need it? Like, because you're just going to, because they dispel it so quickly after that whole scene with the, uh, the fake uh, Rachel Salanda mm -hmm. that was just in his head. Yeah. That cave uh, scene. Yeah. That's actually, um, I I don't know I don't think it's a direct reference but there was a study done in the 70s um about this like how it's impossible to say you're not insane um where a bunch of psychologists committed themselves to psych wards saying they had schizophrenia and basically all they did is they're like I hear voices and then 
other than that, acted like their normal, just everyday selves. And it was like very difficult to get them out of a psych ward. So even like showing no like clinical symptoms of schizophrenia, like they couldn't escape basically. <laughs> um, so that that is very much grounded in fact, this like impossibility of calling yourself not crazy. Yeah, once you're labeled, it, it is a truism of society is once you're labeled crazy, you cannot escape it. Yeah. And so everything you, you do or say is dismissed. It's like, it's, I think that is like the, the most overt horror element of this movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm just one really bad day away from being stuck in a mental ward for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Uh, you got anything else on uh, Shutter Island? Uh, I think it's beautifully shot. I really enjoy the the actual the active dream sequence that he has, where it's his you know fake version of his wife, and like mm -hmm. and like that that version of his wife is warning him like you know oh Andrew's latest is gonna take us away you know we're gonna you know we're gonna go away and but even in his dream he's dripping wet when he should be like burning up because yeah. the, it his his dream version of it created a uh, a narrative where. Andrew Latus was a firebug that burnt down the apartment complex that he lived in rather than the wife trying to kill herself and him moving them to the uh, a house by the lake. Yeah, I, sometimes I felt like those like memory scenes or, you know, visions went on a little longer than maybe they needed to, but didn't didn't detract from the overall thing. So, yeah, anyway, we'll be back after another short break with our final thoughts. Oh, one last thing. In the credits, there's a guy on the water safety team named John Arbuckle. Wow. <laughs> Real important there. <laughs> we'll be right back. So, final thoughts comparing these two movies. What'd you think? I liked them both. I definitely feel that for my money, I'm more likely to watch The Sixth Sense again and again, show it to people that maybe haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. If someone has never seen Shutter Island before, I will watch it again with them. Um, one thing I'm going to bring up, though, is the musical score for both these films is very much like a movie musical score, which is interesting because I think I prefer a more subtle score for these kind of films. So, like, Sixth Sense kind of delves into a lot of, like, horror movie, scary movie tropes, whereas Shutter Island delves into a lot more thriller tropes with its score. But there's a really beautiful piece that I'm actually listening to right now called This Bitter Earth, which I feel should have ended the movie, as opposed to the main score, uh, like, main title uh, score that they used. Because that gets across right. the bittersweet in essence of the end of Shutter Island. Mm -hmm. um, uh, although having said that I would prefer Sixth Sense more, I think it just depends on the mood I'm in. Yeah. I uh, I originally thought I liked Shutter Island a little more. Uh, right when I, right after I watched it, just because I enjoy the like, like I said, that that head fake of like, Oh, it's the twist, but it's not the twist. Like yeah. where where Sixth Sense is more straightforward, but I think 
after after you know sleeping on it, I kind of enjoy the very just like straightforward nature of the sixth sense. And I, I enjoy the, the simplicity of just like, you know, this kid sees ghosts. This is fact, as opposed to the like, let's take a trip inside the twisted mind of, you know, Teddy Daniels or Andrew Latus. Yeah. I, the only name I have written down here is Teddy. Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically you have both names written down. <laughs> Whoa. Hang on, let me just copy paste here. <laughs> oh yeah, it works. <laughs> um, so I think the sixth sense for me, but yeah, I mean they're both they're both great movies. Like definitely deserving of, you know, an eight eight point one. You know yeah. that it's it's those good the, that good good movie. That, um, that give give us that good shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know we can't like we both we both still recommend you know Gone Baby Gone and Wind River. We both re- we recommend both uh, Shutter Island and the sixth sense yeah really depends on the mood you're in for and all that you know i think the sixth sense maybe has a bit broader appeal Mm -hmm. because it's coming from a lot of different viewpoints and directions in terms of the story and the characters whereas shutter island i feel appeals to maybe more of a like a cinema fan yeah because I definitely think there's people that would watch this movie that would be like either bored or say it's too confusing or say it was all bullshit and it was a waste. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I've never, I don't enjoy those takes. And if, if you ever have that take of this movie's bullshit, boring, and I didn't understand it, you're the problem. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I'll qualify that with maybe in good movies because there there are oh, some yes. bad good. movies that just straight up do not make sense <laughs> suicide squad <laughs> i'm talking even even lower down the totem pole of quality i was just thinking of one we've done on the podcast <laughs> right yeah yeah um one thing that i wanted to point out in kind of the comparison of of shutter island to the sixth sense is i've the shutter shutter island kind of has this movie take on psychology where it's not like so schizophrenia when people have schizophrenia they're they're not well-adjusted people and like andrew latis is you know otherwise well-adjusted in his character even in, in teddy daniel so it's it's like not schizophrenia but it's um this one i had to look up but uh people would classify him more as having a delusional disorder. So what did they say? He has schizophrenia in the, the not necessarily, but I feel like visions and hearing voices and, and stuff that's not there is more hallmarks of schizophrenia. Um, They don't call it delusional disorder either, or, you know, address elements of PTSD or whatever, where I think like, the the psychology in the sixth sense, this like talk therapy, you know, cognitive psychology is is, is more realistic, you know, yeah. and then and then the 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 fantastical element of that is is more the fact that he sees ghosts, where the fantastical element is kind of the delusions. The, sorry, the fantastical element in the sixth sense is that he sees ghosts. The fantastical element in Shutter Island is his like visions and delusions and. 
So, um, you know, the other thing that I like about the sixth sense, just as like kind of a piggybacking onto that is the, the answer to his problems is psychology is talking about it. And the answer to the ghost problems is psychology and talking about it. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, for a long time, psychology is like vilified. I mean, it's still vilified by a vast majority of people, especially in America that think like, oh, if you seek help, you're lesser, especially yeah. like uh, there's definitely that pushback. I feel from a man as a man that mm-hmm. if you seek help, you're lesser, you're broken, you're not worthwhile. And that the viewpoint is changing. Uh, but there's still that internalized viewpoint that I at least have. Um, yeah. But I definitely don't think that of people that seek help and seek psychology. I feel that an outside judgment would be passed on me if I did that. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely shifts, I think, in, in talking more about mental health and um, in, in the right direction as opposed to something like characters would have experienced the 1950s is like they go to the loony bin, they're in the insane asylum, like they're, you know, crazy people. And also like kind of in the portrayal in shutter Island, like not necessarily of its time, but like there's this kind of attitude about uh, this disease that like, you know, Andrew latest is otherwise a normal person who just all of a sudden has this like sudden onset of this disease that just takes over and and destroys him and you know usually there's there's steps leading up to that well i think the movie does illustrate that with you know he went through world war ii he liberated a concentration camp like yeah i think that the the reason those are prevalent in his dreams and prevalent in things that he says is because they have left an indelible impact on him and yeah. at the time, it was not something that you talked about. And so he ends up in a in, on Shutter Island because when he was faced with a psychological trauma of coming home and distancing himself from his wife's, ment- her own mental illness, because that's something we didn't mention, is she right. had bipolar? Yes. Uh, like that is explicitly stated by her doc- by the doctor, correct? Um, I don't remember that scene specifically, but it sounds like something that would have happened. Um, but anyway, so he became more alcoholic, which is interesting that the, the Teddy Daniels character, um, is, is, a is sober, like on purpose. Like I gave up mm-hmm. drinking and yeah. like that kind of surprises the Max von Sydow doctor. <laughs> right. Because he knows his past and like. Yeah. What I like about Shutter Island, though, is it's showing that even at the times, like, these psychological institutions were not, like, they weren't necessarily the way one flew over the cuckoo's nest portrayed them. Right. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of damage has been done to the psychiatric profession by pop culture representations of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, and I think that Sixth Sense comes off as very much what a modern psychiatrist and therapist doctor patient relationship would be for the most part other than like the doctor meeting him always at play like that's another thing that should tell you something's off they're never meeting in his office <laughs> right yeah 
that's I mean that also gets kind of explained away or not explained away but addressed and you know Bruce Willis says like oh, I just been having so much trouble keeping track of time lately right so there, there's definitely an aspect of that that he is a ghost he does not know what his time frames are anymore you get yeah. you get a sense that like this is months worth of work that is happening but maybe he's only appearing in these certain phases mm-hmm like he just doesn't exist outside of the scenes we see him in. Yeah. Whereas Cole obviously does. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting that these movies are connected and that they're both twists and they're both about psychiatry. Yeah. And helping people to reach uh, epiphanies and or, I mean, uh, a, a state of being that is conductive to living with, within a society. We do live in a society. No, no. I I hate (laughs) that just the phrase society has been ruined by memes. Yeah. It's an unfortunate fact. Um, But yeah, two great movies. I I hope that people listening have watched them before. We just spoiled it all. But there's, I mean, even so, there's still something to gain there. Yeah, so uh, hit us up with the the stinger for the, uh, the the next two movies. I can't remember. Um, we got two Robert Downey Jr. joints coming up. Oh, that's right. Get ready to <gasps> get ready to discombobulate. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can email us at matchcutpod at gmail dot com or follow us on Twitter at matchcut. Um, I have made some posts on there. There is there is content going up on the Twitter. So check it out. Uh, we will also try to um, provide links to like where you can see these movies beforehand. I know some of the feedback I've gotten is like, hey, I enjoyed it so much more when I had actually seen the movies. And I think it yeah. helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, so until next time, I've been Aaron. I've been Matt. And this has been the Match Cut Podcast. Another one in the can. <laughs> <laughs>